0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on, settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna, from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility, there's more to
2: iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.
3: So, um, as we speak, Wednesday evening, and um, uh, quite a few people in Britain have been on strike. If you're listening overseas, this won't mean anything to you, but um, a fair few people have been on strike today, but not us. Oh, no. We've been here as normal. We've battled through, haven't we? As normal as we ever are.
0: But there's been more strike action today than at any other time over the last decade.
3: That's right. And um, I do remember... The seven. I remember the seventies. The seventies. The eighteen seventies. Yes, there's a lot of strike action. Oh, Queen Victoria was was very very much on the throne back then. I don't know whether Albert had already. I think he died. So Were the just, carriage drivers out? <laughs> do you mean that <laughs> the carriage drivers went out on strike? Yes. Um, what was I? Do? How would I have been? That's a truly terrifying thought. How would either of us earn a crust before radio was invented?
0: Oh, I don't know. Oh,
3: dear. But
0: actually a lot of my mum's family were exactly those kind of uh, Victorian workers. They were carriage drivers and they were housekeepers and seamstresses. And that's what I would have been. And I just would have been terrible. So I'm Mm. terrible at doing the detail, so I would have been a rubbish seamstress. And also you're short-sighted.
3: I'm very short-sighted. I'm not sure how good glasses were back in the day.
0: Yes, I'm not sure that carriage driving with a very bad stigmatism and a 3.5 prescription is anybody's idea of fun.
3: But if you have been involved in an accident (laughs) with a horse and cart... Driven by the young feet, well, you would have been relatively young at the time. The young feet lover, you know what you can do. Well, also, I mean, let's be let's be honest. Our, our periods would have killed us.
0: So the, the oh, that's and, true. Yeah. Well, can
3: we talk about periods because we in Wellness Wednesday. If you're only a person, if you're only a person who listens to off air and not the Times Radio Live Show, because possibly quite possibly because you have a real job and you've got things to be doing between three and five in the afternoon, we understand up to a point although you could just change your job um there was an item this afternoon on periods and period pain to be specific and the new so-called new tech ways of dealing with with pain
0: yeah and you asked the very very good and very simple question how much pain are we expected to put up with And I think that lies at the heart of the problem, doesn't it?
3: Well, up until really quite recently, um, you weren't allowed to talk about your periods, and you just weren't. I mean, people have already forgotten this, but honestly, for decades, hundreds of thousands of years they were a shameful thing that nobody ever talked about. So the idea that you've been in a lot of pain was just something that a lot of women just had to suck up, and and young girls, because it's not only recently that girls have been starting their periods at primary school. I gather that really has been happening for quite some time. Every family family is slightly different, and some girls were starting their periods at 9 or 10 and not having a clue what was happening to them, and it must have been so difficult for them. And pain does vary, and obviously some people are better at dealing with pain than others. But, yeah, because we we weren't able to acknowledge our our pain at all, really. Um, And Helen has emailed to say, period pain is still not taken seriously. And the item with the doctor stating, just do what works on your show today, did have me quite frustrated. What if nothing works? When when are women and girls going to be offered a more investigative approach to pain? Uh, The suffering endured can be devastating. And most of my secondary education was spent in a school medical room, only to be told by my GP. It's just period pains. At 30, I was diagnosed with a cyst, an ovarian cyst the size of a grapefruit, At the time, I disclosed this information in my mostly female place of work and found another four women who also had similar cysts removed, and they all described them as the same size. These apparently started growing at an early age, and I came to the conclusion that this is the length of time girls and women can tolerate the symptoms before it becomes a problem that seriously affects your health, fertility and your life. You do get fobbed off by being put on the pill. I'm now faced with an attendance policy from my children's school that states premenstrual pain as not an acceptable reason for absence. This is included in a list alongside shopping trips and holiday Right. Uh, Helen, I, I understand exactly what you're getting out there. Um, sorry, she says, I realise this email is very hour of the woman, but you never shy away from that. And I'm always grateful for it. Well, we're not going to shy away from what, any of that stuff here either. We've no, we've no reason to. No,
0: but I'm really interested by that. I'm not sure that that's right, Helen, that a school can say premenstrual pain uh, isn't. A reason for absence I would be livid if I saw that written down and it's also just a really it's a very poor understanding mm. of female
3: health yeah I mean what well, I, I know a, a young woman who's had um endometriosis and it is it absolutely devastating endometriosis well, it's a disability yeah it, it's excruciatingly painful and it really can uh, bring you down at a time in your life when until you get that diagnosis you you're very young you don't what you don't want to be basically confined to bed for a, a week every month it's utterly ridiculous so um I do really understand what you're getting at Helen and um you know we we want this to be a place where we can talk about all sorts of stuff including this but by the way I think our doctor was very well meaning um Rabina I don't think for one minute that she wanted to dismiss period pain at all um, and she did acknowledge that she doesn't really she doesn't see the women who quotes never have them, although apparently they are out there.
0: Yep. Um, and also, she said that she she is only seeing women and girls in her surgery uh, who have uh, kind of come to the end of their tether with over the counter prescriptions. So she's not seeing a lot of women who I suspect have for their whole period lives put up with unbearable pain yeah. uh, and not thought to go to the doctor. So it's a good thing that more women are. Mm. And Helen, I don't want to add to your list at all, uh, but do you know what? Um, if you've got anything else that you can tell us or show us about that list uh, from your school, I think we'll be quite interested to see it. And I wonder whether other people uh, have a similar parental experience. I just think that's terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, shall we go to our beautiful lovely thoughtful and funny big guest and yes. save the other emails for afterwards yeah, God,
3: yes because I th- I loved her too that's the author Jojo Moyes
0: so she was in today to talk about her latest book which is called someone else's shoes and it's hard to underestimate you wouldn't want to underestimate her success uh, because her books have been translated into 46 languages They've sold over 50 million copies. They've been made into successful movies. And she's just one of those wonderful people, isn't she, where uh, she's still, given all of that success, I think really curious about other people's lives and lots of other things in life. And I always think you might get to that stage of success. I mean, apart from anything else, financial success, where you kind of move into a different zone, maybe just... You know, you're carted around by Palomino horses drinking only the very, very finest soya-ass milk and you don't really connect with the normal people <laughs> no, at all. But, but she's not seemed, one of those. She seemed in touch with her human side, didn't she? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, so she was in to talk about the book. She was in to talk about her lovely dogs. She was in to talk about anything, really. And she began by telling us about the time, as you do Jamie Oliver offered to help her out of
1: a flooded Ford. So our part of Essex yeah. is quite remote and there's a, there was a narrow lane that I had to drive through that had flooded and I, 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 this lane was quite notorious and I got some way in and realised that I might not be able to get out and I had my newly arrived Bosnian rescue dog in the back And as I was trying to do a 16 point turn in this narrow lane to get out of the flood and a big black Range Rover came sailing through the deepest part and stopped to ask if I was okay. and it was Jamie Oliver. And he said, would you like me to drive your car through? I think you can do it. Uh, And my my dog promptly had an accident in the back of my car. And so I said no, because I couldn't bear the thought that Jamie was going to get in and drive my car full of... Poo, poo. yes. um, But he gave me a massive tip, which was he he said, I drive at 12 miles an hour the whole way, don't deviate, and that will push the water away from the wheels. And I did it and I got through. So thank you, Jamie. That was a great tip.
0: That, that is a tip. Who knew? And the next time I'm in a flooded ford, I will use that. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> just I, you know, then you will whip up the, the simple tomorrow. To it might, depending on how deep it is, obviously. Yeah. Okay,
0: right. Well, we will talk much more about dogs later on during this interview, too. And if anybody has any questions, it's 8732 start your message with the word times. Right, tell us about the shoes and the importance of shoes at the beginning of your
1: latest novel. Okay, so at the beginning of my latest novel, two women, two middle-aged women in very different situations, but both at a point of crisis in their life, accidentally swap gym bags, one of which contains a pair of high-heeled Christian Lebutin, um glamorous shoes, the other which contain uh, a pair of kind of pretty exhausted flat black pumps. Um, one belongs to a, a kind of very wealthy trophy wife who's just discovered that her husband is about to divorce her, and the other belongs to a woman who is British, squeezed, trying to balance the needs of elderly parents, daughter, depressed husband, bullying boss, and it's what happens to their lives when they are literally forced to walk in each other's shoes and... Yeah, I don't want to say too much because it's quite plot heavy.
0: It is quite plot heavy and it's always a danger, isn't it, when you do, I would imagine, when you do a promotional tour to know how much to give away and tease and how much to stop so you don't ruin the book. So I'll leave that to you because you're the professional here. But where did that, that little spark of the beginning of a story come from?
1: Usually I get them from the news. Usually I get just little snippets that lodge in my imagination then I can't. Either it's a question that seems to have no obvious answer, such as in Me Before You, which was the question of assisted dying and and what was right. Um, In this case, I'd written a short story involving a woman and a lost gym bag, something like 15 years ago, and it had been one of these stories that popped up in various sort of meetings with studios and production companies that I had where people asked if I could extend it or do something with it, and I could never see it. And then one day I literally found myself thinking, well, what happened to the woman whose gym bag got picked up? And as soon as I saw it it as, like, a Vanity Fair-type escapade or Desperately Seeking Susan, if you remember that Mm. film, where two women, uh, their fortunes keep crossing, then I saw it and then I wanted to write it. And and a bit like many people during the pandemic, I'd just found everything a bit much and I couldn't read anything too depressing or challenging. Um, And so I set out to write a book that was a bit more uplifting than usual Mm -hmm. and a bit more fun.
0: Do you know the endings before you start at the beginning?
1: I have an idea because I found that, I mean, writers tend to be planners or fly by the seat of your pantsers. And I like to have at least a couple of twists in my books. And I find that if you don't plan, you can't navigate your way to the twist because you need your reader to forget something in order to be surprised by it later um so I am a planner yes I knew roughly where we were going to end up but there are a couple of extra twists at the end that I didn't No, till I wrote
0: them. Mm. Uh, I was surprised. I mean, given the fluidity of your writing, that you had three novels that weren't bought, that were rejected before the first one was that. Sheltering Rain, yeah, Uh, was was picked up, and then there was a flurry, wasn't there? And it was bought at auction, and that must have been gorgeous and wonderful. But those three unpublished ones, have they then turned into novels? Were they then published? No, they're
1: they're rubbish. I mean, honestly, I had to. I I had to learn on the job, and I think I. I learnt what I was doing by writing those three. I mean, it was crushing at the time. I thought they were good at the time, but now I look back and I realise that there's a whole lot of things they were lacking, but they taught me about pacing, they taught me about creating characters, they taught me about building a world. And I honestly think if I'd had my first book published when I wrote it, the unpublished one, I wouldn't still be here. You I didn't... You said earlier
3: that you've got a lot of your ideas from news yeah. and you were a student in London or part... Sorry, Is it sorry? Egham. Uh, Egham, yeah. yeah. Is that Royal University? Holloway College? Yeah. yeah, I tried to get in there. It's a very
1: pretty building. Yes, it
3: is a pretty building. Anyway, um, well, not that I spent any time there, um, but you worked... Dear Jojo, you've hit a nerve. It's
1: broader. Well, no, it's just I've been living on the Bulls Pond Road in rented accommodation, and so, so I was went a to look at Royal Holloway and went, yeah. oh, my God, I want to live here. Yeah, well,
3: it is gorgeous down there. Anyway, <laughs> um,
1: while you were there, you worked as a
3: student on the Egham and Staines News. I did. Now, can you remember the first story you did? Yes, I can. What it is was about one... a
1: vine that had grown because the owner had... Uh, poured uh, a pint of beer in it every day and I had to go along with the photographer and write a piece and I, that was my first byline and I remember sending it to my parents who were slightly less whelmed than I was <laughs> by because I thought it was amazing I'd got this story published and yeah I think they were less excited than I right. was um
3: it was so it's a vine of grapes yes Really, yeah. I suppose it is relatively warm down that way, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe. I yeah. mean, who knows? So um, that crossover between news, because you were a journalist for a, for a while, ten years, yeah, and and writing a novel. Uh, what is it? I and mean, not every journalist has got a bestseller in them. Plenty of journalists write.
1: No, uh, I. What is it? I think the thing that writing for news teaches you is to see stories everywhere i mean in, when i did my nctj training mm. one of our jobs was we were given a page of the old a to z and told to go and go away for a day and find two stories from that page right. and that was brilliant because it teaches you to look at a street and go what's going on behind the curtains at number 72 um why is there a car door open in a car that no one seems to be visiting you know just you just start to see things and And that's always come back to me. And I I always say, if I sit in a room with two people, I could get four novels out of them. It's it's just a matter of how you look. And I think that's what journalism gives you. And the ability to write to deadlines, which not all novelists have.
0: (laughs) So presumably one of the joys for you as a writer is to be able to take yourself and your readers off to different worlds. But are there ever times when you wish you were writing a series and, you know, like a crime writer would, so you had the same character... To build a story. Well, I round. did that.
1: Um, I didn't intend to write a series, but after I wrote me before you, um, and then I wrote the film script, I found that I started dwelling on what might have happened after the event. I don't want to say what the event is, but a- as a journalist, I was always interested in the story afterwards, like what happens to the chambermaid who finds the body, that kind of thing. How do the people cope with the aftermath of the village fire? And so I ended up writing two sequels to Me Before You. Um, It became a trilogy. And it was really hard because it's that thing of how to reintroduce certain storylines and characters in a way that isn't kind of saying, and here is the thing from last time, you know, without bashing people over the head with being obvious. But also to make it interesting to those who might not know the previous story um, and also I just, I don't know, I quite like doing something different every time so I don't have any, I mean I'm sure it's great if you, like I know Lee Child a bit and I think to have a character like Jack Reacher who you know so well who you can revisit again and again must be fantastic but it's not for me.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
2: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card.
0: Jojo Moyes, international best-selling author, is our guest this afternoon. Her latest novel is called Someone Else's Shoes. Uh, in previous novels, though, you have taken the reader all over the place. Uh, uh, will you tell us a, a little something about Kentucky and the world that you entered there? Because it just sounds so wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ken, the, the Kentucky book, I'd seen a, a, a group of pictures online of these packhorse librarians from the 1930s and... Immediately, I had to write the story. I knew I wanted to write. I like writing about women who do things, you know, capable women. And so I flew over to Kentucky because I knew I had to be there to absorb the language and the smells and the sights. I'm a big believer in going to the place that you write about. Um, But beforehand, I did some research and discovered that the place I was headed for was the opioid capital of America with a kind of catastrophic crime rate. And I was quite anxious about going and I'd found a place that rented out cabins on the mountainside and I went with my best friend, I took her along with me because I just didn't want to go alone. And I thought it was a red state, so it was going to be very Republican and and what I found was completely different. I mean, there is a lot of poverty there, There there are a lot of problems, but the people were welcoming and charming and funny and... Huge storytellers in the way that, you know, you go to some places and there's a great oral storytelling tradition. They were very funny. Um, I fell in love with the landscape. It was a place I totally didn't expect to fall in love with. But it is... I think, my pl- my favourite place in the whole world. And I, I went back three times while writing the book in different seasons because I wanted to experience what the women would experience riding across that landscape at the same time.
0: So they were delivering literacy, weren't they, on horseback? Yes,
1: they were. They're, they're, uh, the Appalachians have always been one of the poorest and least literate places in America. And under Roosevelt's um, post-war programme, they wanted to take knowledge to these remote families, in order to combat snake oil salesmen, religious fundamentalism um and religious yeah i I just listened to this story, and I thought this is a modern story. this is a story about truth and facts mm. and um, and these librarians would often ride up to one hundred and twenty miles a week over really harsh terrain and often to families who didn 't want them there um, and they would take comics, they would take recipe books, they would take you know, factual literature as well as fiction, but they became beloved of the community. The, the scheme lasted seven years and in that time they they made a huge difference to literacy rates there, women especially, because women were largely, you know, barefoot and pregnant and there was a lot of societal issues, shall we say, going on in those, in those communities. And unfortunately it was cancelled after seven years and I think there is still a huge problem with a lot of the same issues, but um, it brought knowledge to people who needed it especially with regards to mining in the local community which um, miners were a very badly abused sector of the population and this gave them information to help combat mm. some of the worst excesses of the mining industry.
3: Dolly Parton has done a massive job hasn't she on literacy projects. She
1: is an extraordinary woman yeah. She she's made sure that I think families get free books for children up to the age of seven or something but she has funded so much good in that country I think she's yeah, she's a yeah, phenomenal,
3: phenomenal woman. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your, your friendship with Lee Child, and, and some people, if they were going to talk about lady writers and gentleman <laughs> writers, they'd probably put you two at sort of polar ends of the scale. You both sell by the truckload. You're wildly successful. What what do you talk about when you're talking to Lee Child about writing?
1: Oh, God, I wouldn't dream to t- about talking to Lee you don't about talk writing. To what do you what talk, what talk, about, I talk to him about is I talk to him about the other stuff to do with book publicity. Right. And, um, yeah, I... I did a book tour with Lee um, at the tail end of 2019. Um, it was it was in the Brexity period, I and mean, what we were trying to do with Ken Follett and Kate Moss as well was just reinforce links with European countries and say that, look, this political thing may have happened, but we still want cultural links with you. Yeah. Um, Lee is a man of kind of few words, but all of them are good ones. Mm-hmm. He's basically Jack Reacher, but <laughs> thinner. Um, he <laughs> <and> speaks
0: <laughs> in those very short sentences. Yes, he
1: does. And and I think it took me about three days to kind of understand who he was and where he came from. But I, I adore him. Uh, I, the stories I can't tell, but he is one of the kindest and most... He's just a good person in a way that a lot of people who reach that level... Might not be
0: good. And he has a literacy program, doesn't he? At the University of Sheffield. Yes, I think he's the sponsor of it. But I
1: will say this whole tour, given that Lee was more stratospherically successful than almost anybody else on the planet. No, no, (laughs) but I was going to say he did the whole tour with black tape over a bomber jacket because he couldn't be bothered to repair the rip or get a new one. (laughs) And he has his clothes sent to every hotel. He has the same suit sent to every hotel so he doesn't have to travel with stuff. And I just,
0: God, he is Jack Reacher, isn't he? I think he really might be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We can't let you go without talking about dogs. They're such a huge part of your life, aren't they? They are. Um, Uh, this is by no means to hold you in any sense responsible for what seems (laughs) to be happening at the moment uh, uh, with with just very, very bad dog behaviour with some really tragic consequences as well. But you've got two rescue dogs. You've had other dogs in your life too. What do you think is happening? Is it just that we've lost the connection, lost the sense of responsibility, don't understand what we're doing?
1: I think there is a huge problem with people buying dogs without understanding their needs. They buy them for... Um, their looks, or and often you know, dogs that have been overbred in puppy mills may not. They may have genetic problems. But I, I actually met up with a dog trainer who'd been helping me um, change my dogs to a, a, rural, a less rural way of living, and he he said I would never take eight dogs at once. It's too many because once one is triggered and the pack mentality takes over, you you can't possibly hope to control eight dogs. You just can't um and i yeah i think people really need to i mean rory kethlyn jones and his oh, so Sophie. Sophie from romania yeah. i think has done such a valuable service in showing that you have to go at a dog's pace you have to understand that not dogs are not always going to be able to pay and also not many people walk them enough i'm a great believer in cesar milan's um thing which is you walk first then discipline, then affection. And I think a lot of us get it the wrong way around. And I see so many dogs who just don't get walked enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, just in case people don't understand the reference, uh, Rory Kathleen jones has adopted a dog from Romania, a rescue dog called Sophie, and he's been detailing her antics on social media. And for about a month, she's just been behind a sofa. But yes. she's come out, she has come out lately. Yeah, yes. I mean,
1: my, my Bosnian, my first Bosnian rescue dog, it's taken her three. It took her a year to to be comfortable in more than one room in the house. I mean, she was terrified of everything. And, and of course you
3: don't know their backstory, do you? You don't, you don't know have their backstory.
1: And you have to understand that you're you're taking on an unknown. And But also be committed to it. it. You know, you're taking on a member of the family and so I feel like you have to do your work. And it might not be the pace that you want to work at, but... That's who they are. That's what you've agreed to take on. Now, Jojo, you
0: have said that you don't think you've ever been relaxed in your entire life. You're very bad, at just chilling. Do you think that's going to change? What do you think about retirement? And as a... Woman getting older. Well, no, I don't think you're not there yet,
1: but it's on the horizon. But I, I think it's a female thing as well. I think from the moment you start having children, you're kind of calculating what time you have to do in what. You know, it's like when they're small babies and you're like, I've got half an hour while they sleep to kind of clear up the chaos of the front room. And that never left me. And I think my parents both had a ferocious work ethic, and I probably inherited that to my detriment. I've had to really. You know, some, I got divorced and my mum died three years ago and those two things along with overwork kind of did for me and I've had to completely readdress how I live my life. I don't relax, relax, but I do walk my dogs for an hour and a half, two hours pretty much every morning on, and that to me just is relaxation. It settles my brain and it's joyous and, yeah.
3: But aren't you thinking about plot lines and potential No, potential I'm not, You're I'm, really but I not. am
1: thinking about step count. Oh, yes. So, I think it's so deeply ingrained. How many are you on? This stuff. I, I, the other day, I did 16,000, which felt like a lot. I'm anywhere between about eight and 12 most days. Oh, you're doing very That's well. very good. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. You're doing it too. Oh, it's I know. Like, I'm quite it's obsessed. so ingrained. I walk up and down the to try and get. A ten. Yeah. Um,
0: the author, JoJo Moyes. It was a pleasure to meet her. And in case anybody's wondering about the reference she made to Granny's tights in the garage. Uh, That related to a story we had from a listener on a previous podcast. Yes,
3: and it was about um, discovering a hoard of her grandmother's old tights, or stock, no, tights, wasn't it? Um, Which the granny had kept, and it was, but the box was marked, and this is the significant bit, what was the the mark on the box? Gusset too low. Yeah, gusset too low. (laughs) But she kept them, just in case. Because you never know, ladies, (laughs) when you might be thinking, oh, if only I had a pair of tights with a low-hanging gusset.
0: And also, I love the idea that one day that woman might have met somebody else and looked her up and down and said, i tell you what, before going, I've got this box.
3: (laughs) Just the thing for you, Daphne. Christmas. (laughs) Um, Chris just wants to say, um, great to hear Jojo Moyes talking about the fantastic women who were the forerunners of mobile libraries. Just explain that.
0: So uh, in researching one of her earlier books, Jojo became really interested in Kentucky and the Appalachian Mountains and this incredible group of women called the Pack Horse Librarians of Kentucky who did what they said on the tin. They were setting off on horseback across the... Hills and Valleys of Appalachia delivering literacy to remote communities. And their impetus for doing it uh, was because they didn't want the kind of snake oil mysticism of misinformation to really grab hold in remote communities. Thank goodness we don't have that problem today.
3: It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's actually very depressing, isn't it? To think we probably could do with them again. Um, that was it. Yes, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, so Jojo is someone. I mean, she'd said herself, didn't she, that she travels to places and actually actually bothers. This is one of a number of reasons why I've never written a best-selling novel. Because Cause it, cause it would have to be set in. That quite a lot of work. Crosby. <laughs> or oh, oh, West London at Euston Euston <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the forecourt Houston, it is the forecourt yeah. yeah god that place I spent so much of my life there and Chris says give librarians a shout out they're great advocates of literacy absolutely love libraries love librarians I think that's a truly wonderful thing to do for a living actually a yep. fantastic thing
0: uh, right, we've got a very lovely email uh, from Caroline and Caroline says Hi finn your discussions around male only WhatsApp groups brought to mind a conversation over the festive period. We had invited five cisgender heterosexual couples round and after a lot of food and drink the women found themselves huddled together chatting about a dad from school who had been widowed about two years ago. My husband, soon to be my ex-husband thank you for your podcast that has brought much laughter during this challenge in time of him being a prize to it, absolutely no problem at all. Said, "Oh, can I be one of the girls and join this conversation?" None of us said no, and we continued with the chat around how the dad in question had started seeing someone, how we were delighted for him, and then we moved on to his wonderful traits of warmth, kindness, being an amazing dad, and how charming he is. However, he wasn't in any of our eyes physically attractive. We had at this point more than a few glasses of fizzy wine. My soon-to-be ex later extolled his astonishment and disgust at our comments. And when I retorted, so you've never commented on women's looks with friends, he has I've witnessed it, there was a deathly silence. Would anything change if men thought of it as when the shoe is on the other foot? Probably not, thinks Caroline. And as you suggest, the conversation needs to be sparked by men with other men. And Caroline goes on to say, I was also surprised by the golden shower in Sam Smith's video. I love it. The set, styling, costumes, dancing, all are fabulous. However, the imitation of the golden shower felt too fruity for me, knowing that my 14, 12 and 10-year-old boys may well see it. They still find RSHP, Relationship, sexual health and parenthood. Your kids called it? Feelings. At school, squirm fault. My initial thought was they don't need to be exposed to this sexual act.
3: I don't know whether I'm glad to be alive at a time when you can read out a sentence like, I also was surprised by the golden shower in Sam Smith's video. Um, No, Caroline, thank you for that. And um, I'm sorry to hear that you've been having a tough time and the husband is soon to be ex. And that's not easy for anybody to go through. Um, But yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I can't believe that he was surprised that women have the temerity to comment on somebody else's looks. And I'm acutely aware that I'm not a supermodel myself. Um, No, no, don't. Darling, don't be silly. No, not. (laughs) But I do. I have I have the absolute audacity to talk about the way other people look. We are all as humans. Very, very weak on this. I think I think we just simply have to acknowledge it, don't we? i am um, not I comment about I'm sure I've commented in the past about other another woman's looks and uh, I certainly think nothing of dissing a man's look. So uh, we, none of us should ever do it. No, you're right. We must stop. Shall we stop? What on earth will we do? <laughs> I don't know what we'll do. Perhaps we could just stop doing that. <laughs> I don't really, don't no alternative now at no. the weekends. No, um, right, you know what you can do? <laughs> Excuse me, it's a bit rude. Jane and Fee at times. dot radio. If you've got anything to say about any of the subjects discussed, also we did discuss um, in the live radio show because we want people to both listen to the podcast and maybe if just be aware that there is the live show two hours a day, four days a week, which you can catch up on, can't you? You don't you can catch up on it? You certainly
0: can yeah. via the Times app.
3: Yes, and uh, sometimes you might just be driving at that time, and it's worth just having a listen in. And we did talk to Amanda Brown, who's a doctor at uh, a female prison in the south of England. I think it's the biggest female prison in Europe, in fact. It's called Bronzefield. And she was our inside job representative today, just talking about her working life. And I thought that was, I mean, it's just a slice of life, Um, not an easy... A slice of life but she had real compassion for the women there didn't she she really spoke very warmly about them and, and the challenges that they face so that's worth a listen it really it really is Yes.
0: so we will speak to you tomorrow uh, we're live at the Destinations travel show at Kensington's Olympia but we have already discussed tomorrow's events today in a podcast that yeah. by the time but will be available tomorrow
3: yes and then it will feel like yesterday it will <laughs> It's like soup in my head. It's like a soup of days. It's one of, like one of my certainly one of my thicker soups.
0: Um, I tell you what, just by the time we get to five o'clock tomorrow, would you be able to just point them in the direction of the door and say it's all over now for the week go home?
3: Well, it is all over except that we're having some photographs taken on Friday, so it's not oh quite all well Oh, God, God we are my... <laughs> So do you know what kids, that's
0: worth looking out for. Jane and I are doing oh a fashion God. shoot. Oh <laughs>
3: what do you say worth looking out for? Right, enjoy your evening. Yes, good night. (laughs) Good night (laughs) Good night. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times Radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget
0: that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live,
3: Uh, Then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's
2: more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card.